Hello and welcome to My Daily Trivia. I'm your host, Danny. Today is Wednesday, October 25th, and I hope that you are having a wonderful day. Happy Hump Day, everybody. Remember when, remember back like 10, 15 years ago, when everyone was calling Wednesday Hump Day? There was some commercial out there with a camel who's excited because, you know, you're over the hump of the week, right? You're halfway between the weekends. You're over the hump. Everyone back then was calling it Hump Day. I say we take that back. So, with that being said, welcome to Hump Day. Now, if this is your first time listening, I want to say welcome to the show. My Daily Trivia is a 10-round quiz show with no specific themes, no specific topics, and no specific categories. We do have a new episode every day, Monday through Friday, including Hump Day, of course, and each day gets progressively harder. So, of course, today is the middle of the week. It's Hump Day, which means that today will be pretty much in the middle in terms of difficulty. Now, as always, if you find this episode to be a bit too challenging, I still think that you should listen to the rest of the episodes this week because you never know, you might enjoy yourself, you might know some answers to some pretty difficult questions, you might even learn something along the way. Now, on the other hand, if you find this episode to be a bit too simple, well, not to fear, we're going to be back tomorrow on Thursday with an even harder episode. So without any further delay, without any further preamble, let's get into today's round of questions with question number one. Who did Orlando Bloom play in Pirates of the Caribbean? And that character's name was William Turner Jr. William Turner, as Barbosa would say. Remember his accent? William Turner. William Turner is a fictional character in the Pirates of the Caribbean films. William Turner is a blacksmith's apprentice working in Port Royal, Jamaica. He secretly loves the governor's daughter, Elizabeth Swan, although he occupies a lower social class than she does. Will is the son of Bootstrap, Bill Turner, and works to free his father from service to Davy Jones. He marries Elizabeth Swan in At World's End, and they have a son. Now, alongside Hector Barbosa, Turner serves as an additional foil to Jack Sparrow's character, taking the role of the straight man with the subdued, good-natured personality. So, that uh, that was William Turner in Pirates of the Caribbean, played by Orlando Bloom. What a great film franchise. I haven't seen those for years. I should go back and watch, especially those first three, if I remember correctly. Like many franchises, I think they kind of, you know, kind of get worse towards the end. But I think the first two were pretty good, if I remember correctly. Maybe even that third one. In any case, I digress. Let's move it along to question number two. What alcoholic drink is mainly made from juniper berries. And that would be gin. Gin is a distilled alcoholic drink that derives its flavor from juniper berries and other botanical ingredients. Gin originated as a medicinal liquor made by monks and alchemists across Europe. Gin became popular in England after the introduction of Jennifer, 
a Dutch and Belgian liqueur that was originally a medicine as well. Although this development had been taking place since the early 17th century, gin became widespread after the 1688 Glorious Revolution led by William the Orange and subsequent import restrictions on French brandy. Gin subsequently emerged as the national alcoholic drink of England. Now, it's absolutely hilarious to me that this all started from medicine. I can imagine that the doctors maybe sampled a little, a little bit too much of the medicine themselves. I certainly may have because I personally like gin. I love a good gin and tonic, especially on a hot summer day. Excellent. Tastes, tastes pretty good. Sounds pretty good. But I think I'll skip it for now. In any case, next time that you have a little sip of gin, just know that that comes from juniper berries. Moving on to question number three. What is the last letter of the Greek alphabet? And no, it is not Z. It is, in fact, Omega. Sometimes you'll hear Alpha and Omega. Sometimes they're paired together. That's because Alpha is, of course, the start of the alphabet. The Greek alphabet has been used to write the Greek language since the late 9th or early 8th century BC. It is derived from the earlier Phoenician alphabet and was the earliest known alphabetic script to have distinct letters for vowels as well as consonants. In archaic and early classical times, the Greek alphabet existed in many local variants, but by the end of the 4th century BC, the Lucidian alphabet with 24 letters ordered from alpha to omega had become the standard, and that is still the version that is used for Greek writing today. So, once again, Greek alphabet starts with alpha, but it ends with omega. Question number four. What year did the website Facebook launch? And that was all the way back in 2004. Facebook is a social networking service originally launched as the Facebook on February 4th, 2004, before changing its name to simply Facebook in August of 2005. It was founded by Mark Zuckerberg and college roommates and fellow Harvard University students, in particular, Eduardo Saverin, Andrew McCollum, Dustin Moskowitz, and Chris Hughes. The website's membership was initially limited by the founders to just Harvard students, but was expanded to other colleges in the Boston area, the Ivy League, and gradually most universities in the United States and Canada, corporations, and by September 2006, to everyone with a valid email address along with an age requirement of 13 or older. That all started back in 2004. I can't believe it's been that long. Almost 20 years. Yeah, it'll be 20 years this February since Facebook got started. It's quite impressive, which means that there are people on Facebook now that were born after Facebook. Huh. 
Interesting. I haven't considered that. I, I, I still remember getting my Facebook back in 2008. I was a little late to the party, but um, yeah, 2004. Interesting. In any case, let's move it right along to question number five. Which movie is known for this famous quote? Yo, Adrian! Now, I did my best impression, but realistically, I can't even get close. That movie is from Rocky II. Now, quick caveat, if you just said Rocky, I would give it to you. Because, frankly, I think he says something like that. I mean, he kind of mumbles, you know, so I think he says, like, Hey, you Adrian, you know, he says stuff like that. So, if you said Rocky, Rocky franchise, Rocky Three, any sort of Rocky, I'd probably give it to you. But what we're looking for is Rocky Two. It has an iconic scene at the end of the movie where he yells, Yo, Adrian, and he won. He won the belt, and he's so excited. She's watching at home. He knows she's watching. That's what he says to her. Yo, Adrian, I did it. It's beautiful. What a great scene. In any case, Rocky Two, it actually came out in 1979. It was written, directed, and starred Sylvester Stallone. The film is the sequel, of course, to Rocky, which came out in 1976, and the second installment in the Rocky film series. The film received generally positive reviews from critics with praise for its characterization, finale, and Stallone's performance. It grossed $200 million worldwide and $85 million in North America, making it the third highest grossing film of 1979 domestically and the second highest grossing film worldwide. The sequel, Rocky III, was released in 1982. Now, here's a fun fact for you. Sylvester Stallone wrote the script of Rocky One in three days while he was staying in a New York hotel room. I was reading up on it a little bit. I mean, he was broke. He was homeless. Couldn't really get any work. His girlfriend was supporting him. And all of a sudden, he writes the script for Rocky One. Someone picks it up. He gets casted in the role. He gets to direct it. Crazy. Very impressive. That's how his whole career started. And of course, he gave us the iconic line, I'm going to do it again. You ready? Here's my impression. Yo, Adrian! Huh? I don't know. I'll practice, okay? But in any case, that came from Rocky Two. Question number six. What is the primary component of natural gas, which is colorless, odorless, and highly flammable? And the primary component is methane. Methane is a chemical compound with the chemical formula CH4. It is a group 14 hydride, the simplest alkane, and the main co constituent of natural gas. The relative abundance of methane on Earth makes it an economically attractive fuel, although capturing and storing it poses technical challenges due to its gaseous state under normal conditions for temperature and pressure. So, next time you turn on your gas stove, it's probably coming from methane. Moving on to question number seven. What type of traditional massage from Japan 
is translated as finger pressure. And that massage is called shiatsu. Shiatsu is a form of Japanese bodywork based on concepts in traditional Chinese medicine, such as key meridians. Having been popularized in the 20th century by, I'm going to mispronounce the name, but I'm going to try it, okay? It was popularized by Tokujiro Namakoshi. Shiatsu derives from the older Japanese massage modality called Anma. In the Japanese language, Shiatsu means finger pressure. Shiatsu techniques include massages with fingers, thumbs, elbows, knuckles, feet, and palms, acupressure, assisted stretching, and joint manipulation and mobilization. To examine a patient, a Shiatsu practitioner uses palpation and sometimes pulse diagnosis. So, Next time you need a massage, consider shiatsu, because translated, it means finger pressure. Which technically, I guess most massages do require finger pressure. They're just not translated as such. So, in any case, that's shiatsu. Moving right along to question number eight. What was the first fruit that was eaten on the moon? And the first fruit enjoyed on the moon was a peach. It was peaches. Astronauts had previously enjoyed applesauce while orbiting the Earth, but peaches were the first fruit to be eaten on the moon. During the United States Apollo 11 moon mission, the astronauts were able to enjoy two meals while on the moon. Along with canned peaches, the first meal included bacon squares, sugar cookie cubes, coffee, and a beverage made with pineapple and grapefruit juices, which actually sounds like a pretty good snack if you ask me. Someone offered me a peach, bacon squares, sugar cookie cubes, coffee, and some pineapple and grape grapefruit juice. I would take it. I think that sounds pretty good. And a view? Come on. Looking out the window, looking at the moon while you enjoy it? Sounds pretty good. Moving right along to question number nine. What is a haboob? A haboob is basically a sandstorm. A haboob is a type of intense dust storm carried on an atmospheric gravity current, also known as a weather front. Haboobs occur regularly in dry land area regions throughout the world. During thunderstorm formation, winds move in a direction opposite to the storm's travel, and they move from all directions into the thunderstorm. When the storm collapses and begins to release precipitation, wind directions reverse, gusting outward from the storm and generally gusting the strongest direction of the storm's travel. When this downward draft of cold air, or downburst, reaches the ground, it blows dry, loose silt and clay up from the, up from the desert. This creates a wall of airborne sediment that precedes the storm cloud. Now, haboobs can be absolutely huge. In fact, in 2011, 
one hit Phoenix, Arizona, United States, and it was more than 6,000 feet high. It was more than 100 miles long, and it traveled over 150 miles. That's a lot of dust. It'd be dirty. Can you imagine having that coming over the horizon? Oh, that'd be, that'd be intense. So in any case, next time you see a sandstorm or a dust storm, just know that that is called a haboob. Moving on to our last question of the day, it's question number 10. What is the only mammal that's able to fly? And that mammal is, of course, a bat. Bats are mammals of the order Chiroptera. With their forelimbs adapted as wings, they're the only mammals capable of true and sustained flight. Bats are more agile in flight than most birds, flying with their very long spread out digits covered with a thin membrane or patagium. Now, the smallest bats, and arguably the smallest extant mammal, is called the Kitty's Hognosed Bat. It's roughly 29 to 34 millimeters in length. That's equivalent to about uh, about 1.18 to 1.8 to, to, to 3 eighths long. Now, the smallest bats, and arguably the smallest extant mammal, is called the Kitty's Hognosed Bat, which is roughly equivalent to 29 to 34 millimeters in length, to and it has a wingspan of about 150 millimeters. Now, for everyone in the metric and not in the metric system, that's about 1.18 inches in length, about six inches across the wings. And at, uh, at at the other end is the largest bats. Those are called flying foxes, and uh, the largest of those is called the giant golden crown fox. Now, those weigh just the weight on those is three and a half pounds. They have a wingspan of about 1.7 meters. That's equivalent to about five feet, seven inches. And I looked these things up. They do look like foxes. And apparently they're quite, quite big. So I guess they kind of have the size of a fox too. In any case, next time you see a bat zipping around, if one gets in your house maybe or you're outside, just know that that's the only mammal that's able to fly. So that will conclude this round of My Daily Trivia. Of course, if you found this round to be a bit too simple, I encourage you to check in tomorrow. If you found it hard, I think you should check in anyway. I want to thank you all again for listening to My Daily Trivia. I'm your host, Danny, and I will see all of you tomorrow. Tomorrow.